0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
1: You got problems that you ought to be
2: concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one that you're in financial fears to oppress the sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with Gabby Don hello I'm Gabby Dunn and this is bad with money our guest today is Naja Farley a senior staff attorney at the National Employment Law Project Nelp no. NAJ's experience lends itself towards living wages and workplace standards enforcement. According to the NELP website, NELP fights for policies to create good jobs, expand access to work, and strengthen protections and support for low-wage workers and unemployed workers. Since the pandemic began, the idea of work and the workplace has changed immensely. For many, home became the new workplace, and that meant a slew of new challenges and also benefits. Right now, according to a 2020 study by the Pew Research Center, 71% of Americans are working from home. Only 20% of those worked from home before the coronavirus, and more than half of that 71% said that they'd like to continue working from home even after this is over. For low-income workers, 76% said their job cannot be done from home. So clearly, there is a class issue coming up here. So how does one fight for workplace standards when everything is so out of whack? And what are the benefits for black women of not being in the office during BLM in June when your white coworker Megan probably wants to chat with you about it? We'll meet hypothetical white co-workers Dave and Megan later in this episode. And when work is home and home is work, what has changed for the better and what has changed for the worse? Okay, so Naja, can you tell my audience a little about who you are and what you do?
1: I am a senior staff attorney at the National Employment Law Project, and I work on issues of work quality. My portfolio is like looking at issues of wage theft enforcement, minimum wage, and also some in the area of like non-competes, looking into how to reduce the usage of coercive contracts. So I started out my career in the United States Department of Labor doing mind, safety and health litigation. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to the attorney general's office in New York State, where I did mostly wage and hour enforcement. So investigations and cases of wage theft.
2: So the National Employment Law Project, I, I was doing a bunch of research basically on what's been going on since COVID. And I found a lot of really great resources there. Can
1: you talk about what it is, what NELP is? NELP is an organization that's focused on improving basically the world of work for all workers. And so NELP's core values are like ensuring that for all that want to work, that they have good quality jobs that pay enough for them and their families to live on. And for those who aren't able to work, that they're uh, Adequate social insurance programs to assist them and basically to raise the standard of living for all of us. And I think like that's what everyone's focused on. And you know, it's a really dynamic place to work because there's unfortunately always something going on in the (laughs) workplace. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it mentions that you work with clients in low wage industries. So what would count as like a low wage industry?
1: So I don't work directly with clients. But when we talk about low wage industries, we're talking about industries where like the median pay is around the minimum wage, which the federal minimum wage is like seven twenty five an hour. And the median for Low-wage industry jobs is like 10 22 an hour. And so some of the biggest industries are the hospitality industry is like probably the largest. And that is all because people in the hospitality industry also tend to make below the minimum wage, the sub-minimum wage, which is federally set at two thirteen dollars an hour, because tips are supposed to make up the difference, right? So you have servers, front of the house, back of the house, banquets hotels, people cleaning the hotels, all these people who are possibly making the minimum wage or even below that, right, in the hospitality industry. And then some of the other large industries are construction, domestic, home care work is another big industry. And I think the pandemic has sort of illuminated this. Like many of these people who are making lower wages are actually the most essential workers. And so the dichotomy with that, that COVID-19 have exposed is that these workers are some of the most important workers in our society, but they're not being paid their work.
2: Yeah. So that was my next question is, is how has life for low wage industry workers changed?
1: What we've seen is unemployment rates went up substantially at the beginning of the pandemic and they have started to come down, but they have not gone back to pre-pandemic levels. At NOPE, we talk a lot about elevating Black workers, and Black workers still have a higher unemployment rate. And it's always higher than the baseline in general. But I think in February, the national unemployment rate was 6.2%. And then for Black workers, it was at like 9%. (sighs) Black and Latinx workers have seen more job loss in the pandemic. They've seen a large number of illnesses, and the death rates are much higher in the Black and Latinx and Indigenous communities, too. It's a drastic crisis. And then on top of that, you have a lot of the concern about how women have been forced to drop out of the workforce and what that means for the future.
2: So can you talk about that? What does that mean for the future? There are so many
1: I know, I know. I mean, it's a really broad question. Because we don't know what's gonna happen, right? And so I think like that's why we're continuing to push for these just recovery types of policies, right? Nelp is not the only organization. There's a lot of organizations that have lifted up this idea of a just recovery. And that means like, you know, a recovery where everyone is lifted up in the aftermath of this and not falling victim to like the austerity measures that it seems like a lot of folks on the right are trying to roll out. And so the things that, you know, NELP would like to see, and I would like to see too, is we raise the minimum wage. That's going to automatically raise the amount of money that over, I think like 32 million workers would get a raise if they raise the minimum wage mm-hmm. to $15 an hour. And then mm-hmm. we have the issue of paid family, leave, paid sick leave policies. Those are like getting a lot of traction in the wake of COVID-19, like how many women would have dropped out of the workforce if there had been paid leave available or paid sick leave available, where they would be able to keep their jobs and also you know, take time off if they had caretaking responsibilities. So yeah, it's like so many aspects of it that we can look at and see how this adversely impacted people of color and women and coming out of it. I think that that's where we have to have our focus.
2: I had no idea there was a sub-minimum wage, although that makes sense with the ways that you're paid and then you're made up for in in tips. So the sub-minimum wage is is supposed to be, well, because you're going to make tips at this job?
1: Yeah. So tip workers are, the vast majority are women, like maybe 70%. -hmm. And they've been shown to have twice the poverty rate of other workers, and so that's one an, other thing about the federal raise the minimum wage act that people were talking about is that it also provides a pathway to the end of the tipped wage or the sub minimum wage.
2: Yeah, I mean, that seems so obvious. It's it's so it seems cruel at this point. Uh so obviously I think in light of the pandemic there's been increased talk of of raising the minimum wage. I mean there's always talk of it, but like I think maybe the pandemic hopefully highlighted that more. Have you seen that and where are we with that?
1: Well, I think so I think a lot of people have already been talking about it and there's like some campaigns going on now to continue like that progress, but I think the focus on the federal minimum wage is also important because this is something that I did not know before I started working out. Like There are some states that don't even have a minimum wage. A $15 an hour wage across those states, which are mostly in the South, so many people would be lifted up. So I think that's why like it's really important to continue to press on the federal minimum wage, as well as the states that are doing campaigns. So I think some states are, are going to continue to To move forward with this, I think the last state that was in the news about was like Florida raising the minimum wage. And there was a lot of news about that because it was like, oh, like it's a conservative state. And like they still voted, you know, Mm -hmm. in favor.
2: Yeah, I'm from Florida. So I I understand. Yes, I understand (laughs) the need of like, I don't know if Florida did it. Come on, guys. Florida did it. Yeah. I
1: yeah, yeah, I was sad when they got rid of the Department of Labor. Like one of my cousins lives down there and we were talking about that because it was like I was like trying to find her an attorney. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess, you know, that's irrelevant. They were just like they
2: were just like, no, no Department of Labor anymore. Figure it yeah. out for yourselves. <laughs> you know, Florida giveth and Florida taketh away. <laughs> so, OK, well, that's my new merch. No. OK, so. How has your work changed in the last year? And I know this is a big question because I think the shift to home offices, how has that affected what you do? Let's say now that in some cases people are working from home.
1: Yeah, I'm at home with a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. So like my work has totally changed. You know, I'm here doing everything That everyone else is doing. I guess I'm doing remote school, and then I'm on a call about a non-compete law campaign in like New York. Then I'm playing Legos. Then I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Then I'm like trying to figure out if I can put together a policy paper on wage theft. And then you know, like Mm -hmm. it's just like all over the place, just like everyone else. And I feel like that's a point of unity for so many people. We see that it's unsustainable, right? So how can we create this new ideas or how can we like create the new world that we want to see? And I think that's important to pick up on that synergy.
2: So what would be your ideal changes? Oh my goodness. Um- <laughs> just some hard hitting okay. big no. questions here at bad with money we like to
1: uh, we like no, to, i mean yeah <laughs> i mean obviously minimal wage paid sick leave paid family leave i i actually would like to look into some of the innovative policies that people have suggested like caregiver bonds or caregiver payment and i know that black women in like the domestic care movement have talked about those kinds of policies where like caregiving is paid and feminist literatures have talked about that too.
2: What are caregiver bonds? There's not
1: a policy that NELP is putting forward like right now, but no, totally. I just mean, what's the idea? The idea is that you are paying people who are taking care of their children. Like they're also being paid for that work. And so it's a way to like monetize that. First of all, it's monetizing it. So like people have the ability to, if they are full-time caregivers to be paid and to have subsistence and be able to live. And then also looking at how that work is underreported. you know, like a lot of feminist literature talks about how like that's unpaid labor or unpaid work. And I think another part of it, how it connects to domestic care is like, why are those jobs so underpaid? These are people who we're living with, the people who mean the most to us in many cases, right? Like our children, our elderly, our folks who are disabled. So what would it mean if National Domestic Workers Alliance talks about this a lot, like reorganizing. So like we put that at the forefront of our country's economy or looked at that as like what is valued. Totally. Um, How would that change how we look at things?
2: Well, I think the shift in the pandemic has illuminated that hugely. Although I know you mentioned this, like you said, you know, the jobs that we undervalued ended up being the ones that were most essential. And I think, too, that it was statistically mostly women who quit their jobs to stay home with the kids who had to do, do Zoom classes and stuff And that's whose careers were affected. And that's who are going to have a harder time getting back into the workplace. Yeah. And it's just like the feminist movement has been pushed back.
1: The thing about that is that is a detriment of our society's culture. Right. Right. Like, because we could see it as a positive. Any caregivers, stay at home dads suffer from this. On a personal note, like I have had. My partner is a man and like, we've had so many issues with him accessing any kind of leave for the birth of our child. No paternity leave. Yeah, totally. Which is so unfair. The idea is that like, you should not be doing this. And so if it was universal, anybody could access it, then the stigma goes away, you right. know, It shifts the culture to one where everyone is expected to do that. You know, that's true.
2: Your work is involved in workplace standards, but everything has sort of changed. So
1: what does workplace standards mean when people are working from home? You know, that's something that I've been trying to look into more because I see like now like there is a proliferation of these tracking apps where people are being attracted on their keystrokes. There's a proliferation of people feeling like there are people watching them when they're on their computer, like are keeping track of what they're doing, all those kinds of things. I think because people are home, like it's not as apparent what's happening, but I think there's also gonna be like a huge shift in terms of how we look at cases that for wage an hour and how do we structure the day to day life when people are working remotely so that they feel comfortable taking breaks. I don't think it should be a situation where you're working remotely that you are basically tied to your computer. For eight and a half hours and like Mm -hmm. just sitting there, you know, I don't know if that's what's happening, but I am seeing certain threads and things like that on social media and in the news and among the plaintiff's attorneys talking about it, that it seems like that could be an outcome. And I hope that we can like push against that, too.
2: I mean, it's hard to enforce a work-life balance if your yeah. home is suddenly your office. So, like, what would normally be workplace standards that you would work on, that you would you would believe that people are entitled to, that everyone should have, and then how does that compare to being at home?
1: Hmm. If you're in the in the office, like a seven and a half to eight hour day, you're supposed to get a fifteen minute break. Lunch can be a half an hour. If you take an hour, like I think it's half an hour paid, depending on what state you're in. But usually if you're in the office, there's probably not going to be some companies do track your keystrokes and things like that. But I think that kind of surveillance technology is becoming more prevalent in the face of people not being in the office. But I think when you're in the office, people are... Probably talking to each other, going to the water cooler, like you know, like it's like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not sitting there all day, like (laughs) so. Right. You have to account for that level. Yeah, people are at home, but they're also living, you know, and so like it's like they have. And uh, another big thing is the that I personally have experienced is the collapse of the commute time because living in Brooklyn, I was commuting to Manhattan, so that has actually I think yielded more time.
2: So in some ways, it's been good. And in other ways, it's like, you have your seven hour day, but your child might come in and vomit into your lap oh, no. in a way that they would not do <laughs> right. in if you were in the office. Right. As a lawyer, the tracking keystrokes and the keeping your zoom on to make sure you're not doing anything and whatever seems wild to me in a time where everyone's mental health is in the gutter if that's all legal like
1: that's legal yeah i mean i'm pretty sure it's legal i just think people should think about other ways to make their workplace more inviting people are going through so much if you're somebody who like went remote and you value your employees like let's try it again and keep them safe and healthy
2: you were talking about not having a commute cutting down on you staying late but I imagine there's employers who are like well you're home anyway so why not work till nine and I'm sure also there are people who feel that way too who are like well I could get started at seven and I could finish at nine because I'm here anyway yeah I you know yeah, the constraints of the work day are not available to them
1: yeah it feels like things are bleeding together I've yeah. definitely have experienced that too like oh like i'm not doing anything it's midnight maybe i'll work on this <laughs> like and mm-hmm. i was like but actually though one positive thing about nelpa is they definitely are like please do not overwork mm-hmm. put it away you know at the end of the day because it's like what will we look like to be a public policy organization that works <laughs> right? so, like, <laughs> like, so definitely yeah. like we talk about we do talk about that at work
2: Has there been any cases or any sort of like ability to sue or step forward or anything about workplace standards now that you're at home? I haven't seen any. I'm imagining a situation where, I mean, I'm I'm going to love to look at statistics when all of this goes down, but that like... Office sexual harassment has gone down. Oh, but like my goodness. the assumption that you'll work like twelve hours a day has gone yeah. up. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, I agree with you. In my experience of talking with friends of mine, you know, as a black woman, like we have all talked about how anecdotally at least being at home has shielded us from microaggressions in the workplace. For me, like not just the workplace, but just during the commute, that was another big issue. Harassment on the sometimes on the train or like catcalling like those kinds of things have dropped precipitously. <laughs> like, and I don't know. Like yeah. I feel like it's a great thing. I feel like so much more comfortable. A lot of times walking around because if you're wearing a mask. People are going about their business. Nobody is worried about yeah. you.
2: Except I have been catcalled wearing a mask, oh, and no. my response is always like, "Really, dude? <laughs> right? <laughs> really?" Yeah, I mean, but I agree. I think probably you're right when you're talking about anecdotally about other black women that you've spoken to. You just can sit and do your work and you're not going to have Joe Blow come up and be like, so what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And you're yeah. like, I'm just at my desk, dude. Like, I can't.
1: I can't imagine what it would have been like for everyone to be in the office during the George Floyd protests, etc. I mean, I know everybody wasn't working from home then, but I'm thankful that some people were so they could, you know, at least have time to process everything without feeling like they're being watched or, you know, look at you to see if you have a reaction to it.
2: Yeah, that's really fascinating. And not something that I've I've talked about or has come up at all on the show thus far is the positive in that in that regard not having to do the emotional labor of sitting in the office during this political time. Yeah. And not having to like tell Dave from accounting how you feel about George <laughs> Floyd. Yeah. Shut up, Dave. Right. <laughs> so I read some of your testimony on non-competes. Oh yeah. And so can you give other examples of unfair sort of commonplace practices? Cause non-competes are, are super common.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, And non competes. And then we also at Note talk about forced arbitration agreements. That's where, if you have a workplace case, you can't necessarily take it to court. You have to go before a private court or private adjudicators who determine what you're going to get or, you know, if your claim is valid. And so a lot of companies have workers sign these agreements. And so, therefore, that has led to like a drop in the number of employment discrimination cases. The Me Too movement has highlighted the non-disclosure agreements and how they're used in a coercive manner. I think in California, at least, you had a recent issue with the two black women at Pinterest, ifoma and I think it's Erica. I don't want to mispronounce her name. Who were like talking about how they were told to sign these non-disclosures about. Harassment in the workplace in order to get severance.
2: What company was that?
1: Pinterest. There's a bill that that they were talking about on that. Yeah, Ifioma Zoma yeah, and yeah. Erica Shimizu
2: Banks claimed yeah. they were underpaid, faced racist comments, and were subject to retaliation for raising complaints. Yeah. Yeah, and you work on retaliation too.
1: Yeah. So they have talked about the non-disclosure agreements and how they're used. And so I think all of these things work together to silence workers from coming forward about issues in the workplace. So let's say like you have a situation where you've been discriminated against in the workplace. You know, let's say you go to HR and you talk to them about it or you go get in a private attorney and talk to them about it. You decide to go forward a case like then you're facing this whole panoply of issues that may come up because of a- agreements that you signed at the beginning of your job, you know, and mm-hmm. you may not even know mm-hmm. that they were there. So it could have been 10 years that you've been working at this company and they're like, oh, you signed a non-compete. So if you leave, you're going to be forced to sit out of the workforce for a year or six months, depending on like the non compete that you signed.
2: Which is bananas.
1: Yeah. The proliferation of non-competes is part of why wages haven't gone up because there's a problem of people not being able to move to new jobs that pay more and competition for workers is not as high as it was in the past so it's a very interesting issue it's something that like I feel like most people don't necessarily think about until they have it happen to them you know Mm -hmm. so like when I worked at the attorney general's office and they had like a hotline for, or like a complaint line, sorry, not a hotline, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many different types of people called in. And that's why I was shocked because there were security guards, people working in the cafeteria, people working in IT, people working in hospitals. It was just so prevalent. Obviously, like we couldn't take every case. And so it was just like, people couldn't understand, like, why couldn't I just go get a new job?
2: Like, you know, like... what? In what world does a, uh, does a security guard have to be under a non-compete exactly? Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know.
2: <laughs> You're guarding our bank and we will be furious if you also guard a museum. Like, what? Yeah. So weird. So speaking of terrible things, wage theft in the pandemic. Yeah. So what is wage theft and how... I was reading about it and it seems like harder to enforce now.
1: Yeah.
2: Like harder, harder to catch people who are doing it. So can you explain what wage theft is? And then can you explain like, how I'm sure it's become more prevalent now?
1: Yeah. So wage theft is the term that many policymakers use now for like, uh employer takes money out of the wages that you're supposed to be paid. And so the issue is, Right now, that we have are like some people are in their workplaces and some people are at home. And so you don't really know your workplace. It might be taking a certain amount of time off of the work that you say you're doing. Or maybe they're not paying for all of the stuff that you've reported. Or maybe you're working overtime and they're not paying you for that overtime because like you're doing it at home. So they don't see you. So they're like, You know, we're just going to pay for whatever the straight time, the eight hours that they're working, not like the whole thing. But there's a Mm -hmm. lot of different ways that it works. You might have like, like I said, like people being paid their regular rate instead of the overtime rate for the time that they work over 40 hours. Or it might be like a restaurant where you're getting tips and like your employer is taking the tips or not paying you out for like all of the tips that you make. Or, you know, it might be things like you are having illegal deductions from your wages for things that should be paid for. Yeah,
2: I read also the misclassification of employees as independent contractors, which is a personal pet peeve of mine.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Because
2: it's like, oh, uh, we don't want to give you health
1: care. Bye. Yeah. And it's insidious too, because independent contractors, the idea of it is that you're negotiating your rate, right? Like, You're saying to them like how much you want to be paid because you have your own company, you have your own business, you have your own infrastructure and you're paying for it. But Mm -hmm. the way it's starting to work here is people are just regular, you know, I want to come and work for you. And it's just like, okay, well, you're an independent Mm -hmm. contractor now. So you have to pay for all of your infrastructure. You have to pay for your equipment, all those things that if you were an employee, Mm -hmm. they would put the bill for that, you know? Right.
2: If things have changed for you in the pandemic and things are bad, how do you reach out to NELP for help? (laughs) And how do you, what can you do? Because I think people are so scared to fight back and feel really scared even about like losing their jobs in this this harrowing time. What can you do?
1: I think getting involved in your area, if there are minimum wage campaigns going, that might be one way. I think also like, If you have a union or if you have coworkers who might be interested in that, that's another way to respond to this. Hopefully, like there might be new laws passed that make it easier to unionize. And unions are like a really big way to find a way to advocate for yourself in the workplace because like you're coming as a group and not by yourself asking for higher wages, but you know, you come together to bargain Mm -hmm. for them. One thing that I have seen in my community that has been really important as mutual aid groups that have popped up.
2: Oh yeah. We have a big we have a big mutual aid episode. Oh yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah, that's been like amazing to see. And that's another way to get to know people in your community and to know like what are the things that people want to see and start to advocate for them. And Nelk's Twitter is at Nelk News.
2: I think working from home now and the shift that that has caused, I think you should be aware that there are things that you deserve and things that you can fight back on. And I do think places like NELP are really helpful. And so let's say you are working at home. What are some things you think that people can do to prepare to like, go back
1: to the office? That's a good question. Well, I think asking questions about what are What are the policies for sick leave? Is there paid sick leave available for people who contract COVID? What health and safety protocols have been put in place? And making sure that there's someone who is in charge of that. Are there folks who have been designated to like sort of shepherd people or make people aware of what's out there, what's available? Also, like you said before, we talked about like your emotional or mental health trying to shore up for like that process of like just interacting with people and being worried about COVID, et cetera. Like I definitely think if there's anything available at your workplace for that, like I don't know, some places have EAP programs and things like that to help with that process because I really don't know what that'll be like for everyone.
2: And EAP is is what?
1: Employee Assistance program it's like some I mean some companies have it I guess like
2: yes you can call in for for mental health stuff it's
1: it's part of your your health insurance at your job I was also going to say I think people should if they can take some time to talk to their coworkers about what their experience has been throughout this time and build with them about like what do they see as positives or negatives of the experience and how can they advocate as a group for better policies within their workplace. And, you know, obviously, like in any workplace, like there might be there are workplaces where like people are not going to be receptive to that. But there are some where they will be Mm -hmm. when there's a group of people coming and saying like, this is what we'd like to see if they value their employees, they might be able to make some changes.
2: And also like put up a sign on your desk that says, no, Megan, I will not discuss Black Lives (laughs) Matter with you.
1: Please step away from my desk, Megan. Oh, no. Oh, no. I I don't know what to do. That aspect of it, I'm not sure what to do about it. I really don't know other than just like, oh, oh, my gosh. There's a cringe. I don't want to have to deal with it ever again. I'm not to say, like, my coworkers (laughs) are not very nice. Let me say that. But I'm just (laughs) saying it's everywhere.
2: It is... Everywhere. Thank you so much, Naja. I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is maybe the one that we've had the most laughs.
1: Aww. So
2: thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm
1: so excited.
2: <laughs> Welcome to Dear Gabby, a segment where I listen to your voicemails, read your emails, listen to your voice memos, read your reviews of the show. And sometimes they have to do with the theme of the episode and sometimes they don't. So welcome. I put out a call for people with small businesses to write in and tell me about their business. And so here are some emails that we got from people who own small businesses. Hi, Gabby. I'm a big fan of the podcast and of course also JVU, my other podcast. I wanted to tell you about my girlfriend's small business. She has just started two months ago. I helped her to start it after having success with my own small business, and I want to help her make it a success in all the ways I can. Her business is an Etsy shop called Philippa's Philosophy, where she designs and sells mostly queer and feminist-based jewelry. The shop represents everything she is most passionate about, as she is also currently studying for a degree in sociology and politics with a particular passion for advocating trans rights. Woo! Her goals are to design jewelry that provides representation for people of all sexualities and all genders and just to spread positivity. Okay, so I won't read the whole email, but you get the gist. So in the description, we will have a link to Philippa's shop. And then it's signed, best wishes, Lauren. Okay, another email from a small business owner in Brooklyn. Hi Gabby, yes, I have a small business and yes, I listen to Bad With Money. I founded Chasco in 2018. We are a pet care cooperative providing care for dogs and cats with special behavioral or medical needs. Oh, oh my gosh. Prior to Chasco, I was the hiring manager at a large dog walking company in Brooklyn, and I saw how pets with unique needs could fall through the cracks of a one-size-fits-all service. Oh my gosh, okay, so I'm not gonna read the whole email, but I've learned plenty of lessons in our first three years of operation. Mainly after a year of COVID, I've developed immense gratitude for my connections to my clients who are also my neighbors and friends. And I feel a stronger connection and commitment to my business's place in my community. So we'll include the link to Chaz Co. in the uh, description of the episode. Hope you're well, thank you for Bad With Money and also JBU, Laura. Okay. Hi Gabby, I love your podcast. Saw your call out on TikTok for emails from business owners and figured I'd chime in. I own an artisan tile installation company. Oh, ho, ho, ho. at Vertex Tile on Instagram. Artisan Tile? I started setting tile. Well, I finished grad school with a master's of fine art in studio ceramics and a load of student loan debt. I'm so bad with money, it never occurred to me I might not be able to make money as an artist to pay those loans back. After working low wage jobs for years and not able to find any paying work related to my art degree, I landed an apprenticeship setting tile and got good fast. Decided to open my own company and boom, here I am. Whew! it's been an adventure. As a woman business owner working in a male-dominated industry in the middle of conservative Montana, I've learned a lot about being patient and getting along with people who are from a whole different world than me. I've learned a lot about myself and how creativity fuels my soul, even if it's only blue-collar creativity. Hey, don't put yourself down. That's, that's, don't, don't put yourself down like that. And I learned that sometimes we just don't end up in the places we expect in life, but regardless, the journey can be quite spectacular. Anyhow, thanks for your great energy and your podcast. I love Bad With Money and JBU. You are always a fun addition to my work days. Have a beautiful week. Shannon Lowry. Artisanal tile installation. I love it.
1: Hey Gabby, this is Emily Givens. I'm the owner of a fabulous, bedazzled face mask business called Mbeads, E-M-B-E-E-D-S. So before the coronavirus, I was a hustling millennial. I have three jobs. I work as a housekeeper, landscaper, and a lifeguard, but I got laid off and my business has slowed in the landscaping and housekeeping department. So now I'm selling these face masks and I'm learning how to play the game of selling online while keeping my sanity, as well as I'm still doing some work as a housekeeper and landscaper. Anyway, that's my story of what I'm up to during coronavirus as a small businesswoman trying to make things happen.
2: Well, that's a very cool pivot. And I'm sure that that is something that a lot of people can relate to that they started out with a bunch of different gigs cobbled together and have now had to shift and figure out how to do a lot of stuff online. I know that online selling is a hard job. <laughs> I, I know it. if you haven't ever sold things off the internet, like merch or products or anything like that, you can't imagine how. I don't want to say annoying it is, but it it is it is work. It's client-facing. It's behind the scenes. It's actually making the product. It's keeping track of everything. So thank you for writing in. And if people want to look up Mbeads, go look it up. And thank you to everyone who called in or wrote in this week. If you want to write to me, you can write to me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. And then also you can call in 844-474-4040 and do the same thing. I I love hearing from you guys. I just, I want to hear anything you guys have to say. This is a community now. This is not just one person doing a podcast. This is a group of people making their voices heard. So please call in or write in. We actually got a bunch more emails from you guys all with small businesses run by Bad With Money listeners. So if you are interested in checking out small businesses run by your fellow Bad With Money listeners, go into the description of this episode and you will be able to see all the ones that you guys sent in. Thank you so much. You're all so entrepreneurial.